Welcome to this podcast from the Royal College of Physicians of Edinburgh, COVID Conversations. My name is Dr. Rachel Sutherland. I'm an ST7 in acute and stroke medicine up in Scotland. And today I'm having a podcast discussion with Dr. Mike Farquhar, who is a consultant in sleep medicine at the Evelina London Children's Hospital. Mike, thank you so much for joining us today. No worries. Thank you for having me. Hello. So the premise of this is many of us are facing really quite rapidly changing working patterns. So at the moment, I'm getting a rotor on a week by week basis. And obviously, that's having a, a consequent impact on sleep. And I know that you have a passion about the importance of sleep in terms of health for both patients and physicians. And just wanted to start by understanding a bit more about how you've developed that interest, specifically in the physician side of sleep health. Sure. So the, the interest in sleep stems way back into my teens. So I'm one of these people that have a, a random sleep problem of myself. I get something called sleep paralysis. So that kind of got me interested in sleep when I was a teenager. And then I've kind of followed that through uh, all the way through my career uh, and ended up as a consultant in sleep medicine as a result. But once you're interested in sleep, we don't talk very much about sleep as part of medical or any healthcare professionals training. You spend a third of your life asleep and we spend about you know, less than an hour probably in an average undergraduate curriculum teaching about sleep. Once you know a little bit about sleep, you can start to see just how much it impacts uh, on every single thing that we do when we're not getting the right amount of good quality sleep. And when you've got that kind of background knowledge, when you are, as I was for 10 years or so, a paediatric registrar, working at shift work and all the rest of it, you can start to see how sleep physiology impacts on our ability to work around the clock, which is a core part of what we do as healthcare professionals. We have to provide care 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So by the time I got to the end of my training and I kind of knew that I was gonna end up being a consultant in sleep medicine, I was quite keen to do a bit of work that brought that kind of thinking to supporting people working shifts. So my idea was that if people had a little bit of knowledge about sleep, sleep physiology, why it's important, and then the kind of hacks, the, the, the simple tips and tricks that you can do to try and offset the impact of working around the clock in particular, so that was probably something worth doing. The absolute driver for that is that we all too often, unfortunately, there are stories that you will be aware of, I'm sure, in the local press of doctors and nurses who crash and die driving home after a night shift. And when we work nights in particular, that kind of combination of working against our body clock and fatigue means that we are very vulnerable in many ways. And that very directly puts people at risk of crashing and dying, just trying to get home after a night shift. So those deaths and trying everything we possibly could to reduce those happening was the kind of the, the, the key driving factor for, for starting this bit of work about eight years ago now. I think it's been an incredibly positive piece of work and people have actually been becoming more mindful of the resources that trusts need to make available to junior doctors and, and nursing teams as well. And I've, I know a lot more people who are actually accessing and, and having a sleep before they drive home. So I think that's been a really positive step forwards for, for many of us. One of my colleagues and I were talking about this, about the immune properties, the, the effect that sleep has on our own immune constitution and given that we are now all frontline workers and, and being exposed to the virus, I had a question from a colleague about how important it was and what you would advise as the minimum amount of sleep 
to help with our immune sort of um, constitution? A couple of different things in there. So the, the simplest way to think about that, to be honest, is that sleep is essential for every single aspect of your physical and mental health. So sleep, the way that I often encourage people to think about sleep is it's, it's like the, the regular maintenance work that you would need to do on a car to pass your MOT, for example. And so every single night of your life, your sleep is making sure that your brain and body are working in the ways that it should be. If you skimp on the regular maintenance on a, a complex bit of machinery like a car, then things will probably be all right for a little while. But the longer you don't do the full maintenance, the longer you don't invest in keeping things working the way they should be doing, the more problems start to develop and the more complex and expensive it is to fix those problems And if you've skimped on the regular maintenance. And that's the kind of role that sleep is doing for you every night. And most adults in this country, to be honest, are doing the equivalent of skimping on that regular maintenance. So the, the typical amount of sleep, the median amount of sleep that most adults need is somewhere between seven to eight hours. The range of normal is quite wide, and I'll come back to that. But we know that most adults are probably getting about an hour less sleep on average than they should be doing. And that's even before we start thinking about, you know, doctors and nurses and people working around the clock. If you're missing an hour of sleep every night, you kind of persuade yourself usually that, well, that's fine. You've got six hours of sleep and you're meant to get seven and six hours is fine. But if you think about that in a slightly different way, if you miss an hour of sleep every night of your life, what you are then doing over the course of a week is missing the equivalent of an entire night's sleep. And once you start looking at it in that way, you can start to see that this is probably something that's going to have an impact on every single aspect of your functioning. We know, um, and the evidence base is growing all the time, that when people are even a little bit sleep deprived, it starts to affect their risk of other health problems. So uh, physical health problems, so cardiovascular disease, um, there's some evidence that your risk of Alzheimer's goes up if you're chronically sleep deprived. It affects our mental health, so your risk of anxiety, depression goes up. Every single thing that we do becomes more vulnerable if we're even a little bit consistently sleep deprived. And the immune system is very much part of that. So again, there is a growing body of evidence that tells us that sleep is essential for immune function. And if you are not getting that regular amount of sleep, then just like every other aspect of your biology, your immune system doesn't function as well as it should do. The evidence base for this is, I said, is growing, but you know there are some small studies that look at things like, you know, so if you take people who are getting the right amount of sleep and compared to people who are mildly sleep deprived, and then expose them to the common cold virus, the people who are sleep deprived are probably about two to three times more likely to end up becoming symptomatic than the group who have had the right amount of sleep. Um, we know that response to vaccinations, if you look at things like the, the annual campaign within the NHS to make sure everybody gets their uh, influenza vaccination, if you are sleep deprived when you have your vaccination, it will probably take longer for your antibody response level to get to a protective level than if you'd had the right amount of sleep at the time that you had the vaccination. So that kind of relationship between sleep and the immune system is uh, really key. But again, like most things with sleep, it's something that we've not really focused very much on historically. I was last time I met you, you, I think, recommended that I read Matthew Walker's book, Why We Sleep, hmm. which was absolutely fascinating and a real eye opener for me. And I think my whole family, I think I've sent it to everybody to read now. And I think this immune constitution thing, you know, I think it's something that's clearly being investigated by researchers sort of all over the world. But it is interesting for people on the front line, like ourselves, doing these shift patterns and actually not tending to your sleep, actually 
yes, okay, it's a whole holistic thing, but there are specific things we're probably putting ourselves at risk of that we perhaps don't necessarily understand. Um, So I found that, you know, a really fascinating read. I would recommend anybody. I don't know if you recommend that book, Mike. I'm sure it was you that told me. I I do. I think it's very good at kind of uh, acting as a bit of an eye-opener. The only caution is I think it is sometimes a little bit terrifying for people. I think people read it and think, oh, my God, I didn't get a good night's sleep. My life is over kind of thing. So I think it just needs to be tempered slightly. Um, And we know that when people start getting anxious about sleep and not getting sleep, that actually that's not good for sleep either. So it is useful. It's certainly been very helpful in raising the the awareness of sleep in the the, the general public. Um, And uh, there's a lot of very useful information in it. But I think I, I certainly know some people who have ended up being overly terrified by it. And I think that's becomes unhelpful after a point but yeah it's a great resource yes yeah, it's, it's a good resource and one of the chapters is about sort of tempering your emotions and for those of us with children of which I am one I have a 10 and a five-year-old I'm very well aware of the impact of sleep deprivation on their behavior um, which I'm sure you see in pediatric as yeah. pediatrics as well but we're in quite a heightened environment at the moment there's a lot of anxiety flying around with COVID mm. you know understandably and I think we underestimate the impact. Uh, I know a lot of people who are struggling with their sleep at the moment around, you know, feeling anxious, lots of change, um, you know, what's happening with, with COVID in particular and in work and all the things that are coming up in relation to that. And I guess, you know, we also as adults perhaps underestimate the modulatory effect on our emotions. So you alluded to the emotional effect of lack of sleep earlier. But when we're in these heightened times, it probably is quite important that we do try and attend to that. And I, I wonder about your thoughts. It is, but it goes both ways. So um, in we are living through extraordinary circumstances and it is a completely normal response to all of the anxiety and stress and worry that everybody has about the coronavirus pandemic for your sleep to be disrupted. So, you know, the, the vast majority of people are likely to see an impact on their sleep from all that daytime anxiety, stress and worry. And that is normal. And that's actually a really important point to get across. It means that although it is important to be trying to optimise sleep, a lot of the, the work to optimise sleep is actually around about things that people can be doing in the daytime. Um, and it's often about using things like relaxation, and mindfulness type strategies, ways of trying to acknowledge that stress and worry in ourselves, which is often something we're really bad at doing. And then trying to put in place things that help to mitigate that a little bit. You know, we can't take away the fact that coronavirus is you know, a, a terrifying uh, experience for, for the vast majority of us living through it. We can't take that away. But what we can do is try and help to, to reduce the impact uh, on us as much as we possibly can. And that, I think, is where encouraging people to, to really look at things that help them to relax, to wind down, to offload that stress, particularly under this time of really increased pressure, is really important. And that's something people are often very bad at giving themselves permission to do. You know, if you're the one tasked with trying to come up with the the solutions to how we're going to provide care uh, in the face of what looks like an overwhelming tidal wave, being able to say, do you know what, actually, it's more important that I take 30 minutes to have a break right now. Or actually, I've been working for four days, flat out 12 hour shifts. I need two or three days off to recharge my batteries to actually make sure that I carry on working at the level that my patients are going to need. It is sometimes counterintuitive. And I think that's a really important point that we need to emphasize. Sleep itself, so as you said, so if you are sleep deprived, then yes, it does affect um, our emotional regulation. So we're much more likely to be you know, a bit short tempered, a bit irritable, a bit less patient with people. Our sense of empathy gets affected when we're sleep deprived, which I think is a crucial thing uh, to be aware of uh, as, as uh, NHS staff. But again, it's about 
putting in place the simple things to try and support sleep, um, which has been the message about this kind of body of work from the very beginning. It's about doing simple things well for people who are doing jobs that are a little bit out of the, the, the normal uh, wake sleep pattern. And I think that that links quite nicely to my next question, which is about my rotor pattern is all over the place. Um, so I'm getting a rotor on a weekly basis with very little attention to what came before or what's going to come after it. Yeah. And I just wondered if you could just outline some of those simple things that I can do in this coming period, you know, to try and, and mitigate for my sleep and myself, you know, facing that rapidly changing rotor wheel that we all seem to be on. So I think changing our patterns of wake and sleep frequently is not brilliant for sleep in general. And one of the things that I think we're already starting to see as part of the response to the coronavirus pandemic and the planning around that is that we're starting to see standardisation of rotors um, uh, to try and prevent that kind of rapid changes. That is obviously tricky and needs to be tailored to individual circumstances and uh, pressures on, on particular services. But once you've got to that kind of way of thinking about it, um, the more standard a rotor pattern is, the easier it is to try and then uh, adapt around it uh, to make sure that things like your sleep are protected. And it's also really important that when you're doing things that some very basic principles are followed. So, you know, if we're, people are under pressure, then building in regular rest days is absolutely crucial. It's just not possible to carry on working at 100% or above 100%, which is where a lot of us are feeling at the moment, without stopping to, to break every now and then. If you're shifting between days and nights, it makes sense to go with the body clock. So our body clock tends to roll forward rather than backwards. So, you know, rotor progressions that go day shift, evening shift, night shift tend to be more able to be tolerated than rotor patterns that go the, the opposite way. So building in those simple things into rotor planning is really important. For individuals, so um, I can send you the links to the resources, um, which hopefully you can put alongside the podcast. But, you know, we've uh, produced quite a lot of resources to try and support staff around the basic things that they should be doing. The key, to be honest, is, and it's difficult at the moment to focus on this, but it's about trying to make sure that your core sleep routines and habits are as good as possible before you start coming into these kind of periods of, of extreme uh, change. Uh, and sleep, unfortunately, is one of those things which is uh, common across quite a lot of medicine where good sleep relies on doing really simple things well. Um, you know, so trying to keep as much uh, flexible consistency to our routines as possible, looking after ourselves, making sure you're still getting things like exercise, uh, light exposure, you're careful about how you use things like caffeine or alcohol that can affect your sleep and that you're aware of the impact of light and screen devices in particular on sleep all those kind of really basic things are important and then we've kind of written and produced uh, advice about people working through shifts as well that uh, kind of give people those kind of tips and hacks um, if you're in the middle of a night shift and how to cope with that but a lot of it's about doing simple things really well and I guess one of the big things for many folk is if they haven't instituted a, re a regime beforehand, that they're running on that little bit of empty that we talked about at the beginning of the podcast. Actually, you know, having a little bit of focus on it now, you can start any time attending to your sleep. You know, you don't need to, you know, worry about, you know, the stuff that's gone. Actually, just trying to sort of institute some rhythm and routine, like you say, the simple things. I think particularly at the moment, the thing that we're encouraging uh, people to try and think about is that we are probably still, as we talk today, we're still in that period of uh, slight lull before uh, the, the big tidal wave really hits us. And I think using that time for people to look at those kind of strategies they can use to relax, to wind down. So the, you know, the, 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 the mindfulness strategies that you can do in a few minutes just to try and give yourself a few minutes of break and calm to try and manage uh, stress and anxiety are helpful. Building those kind of things into your sleep routine is actually really helpful. 
And one of the reasons for that is that when people are under pressure, something that will be very common is that people will find that their sleep is disrupted. People are much more likely to wake up in the night and find it difficult to get back to sleep because their minds will be racing. And the more that you have gotten into the habit of using those kind of relaxation strategies in the daytime, particularly as part of your sleep onset routine, the more you can use those to try and help you to contain uh, your, the way you're feeling when you wake like that in the middle of the night to be able to try and get back to sleep. Um, so really kind of focusing on those kind of uh, things are, are really important at the moment. Headspace is a really great app that gives people uh, some advice and ideas about doing that. NHS employers are creating a list of companies who are providing their apps, so Headspace is one of them, for free to NHS staff for the remainder of this year. And I would very strongly encourage people to really look at those in this period to try and think about how they can use those strategies to help them. Because what we're looking at is, you know, the, the, the concept that we're talking a lot about with our staff is this concept that this is a marathon relay, it's not a sprint. If everybody kind of pushes themselves and gives all of their resources, all of their reserve right at the beginning, they're not going to be pacing themselves to be able to continue giving uh, over the, the months that this is going to take. And everybody's going to take their turn. So there are going to be some days um, where you are not going to be the person doing it, where you're going to be at home, and that's fine. Other people will take up the baton and do that bit of work whilst you're recharging yourself. But it's, it's about you know people making sure that they, they are doing that as part of the overall response. And I think it's really important that people prioritise that. It's not just about giving yourself permission that that is just so important going forward. And we are just at the beginning. I'm so grateful, Mike, and I'm really looking forward to receiving those, the links and the, the resources mm. to point people to, because I think that is something everybody should sort of be doing who's working, even if you're not on the front line, you know, sort of seeing the patient. The, the, the change that is happening to all services, you know, change is difficult for human beings. Looking after ourselves through these great periods of change is really, really important. So. I'm really, really grateful for that. You know, we're all going to be working uh, shifts uh, that feel very pressured and lots of patients to see. It is even more important that we make sure that our, our own kind of health is built into that. Uh, and that means that things like taking regular rest and breaks is even more important than it's ever been. You know, it's just not possible for people to work eight hours, nine, 10, 11, 12 hours um, if you're not stopping to take regular breaks. Actually, the care that you deliver to your patients uh, will be less good if you don't build that in. And you're much more likely to make mistakes um, and that might affect patient care. But, you know, it may also affect your own health. You know, if you make a mistake during a, a, you know, a safety procedure that is keeping you safe because you're so fatigued and sleep deprived, then that obviously affects your health as well. So regular rest and breaks are absolutely essential, both within shifts and between shifts uh, to keep us functioning at our best um, for ourselves and our patients. Well, Mike, that's just been a really helpful podcast, I think a really important one and, and one that I think people will hopefully take forwards, not just during this crisis, but hopefully afterwards. Really, really grateful for you coming and talking to us today and taking the time. So thank you very much. You've had me. Have a good day. Thank you. Thanks, Mike.